have been sick. I am glad I wasn't here when you were sick. So, there are people sick back in the Midwest. I was back there for uh, the holidays. And, uh, friends, it's cold back in the Midwest. I dropped my son off at the airport uh, one New Year's Day. I was driving home at midnight, and it was minus 18 degrees in my car. And I thought, this 200,000-mile car, if it breaks down, I might be in trouble on this way home. No, it's great to be back with family for the holidays. I trust you had good holidays, right? Christmas, New Year's, all that kind of thing. But here we are, January 7th, good rock and roll uh, for a new year. I tell you what, every year is a great opportunity for us to experience the life that God has given us. And whether you're a longtime person around here, maybe you're brand new this morning, I want to say this is a great place to join together for us to move forward in 2018. Uh, what do you think, man? I, I'm, I am. I'm fired up for this year. If you're new today, we want to say thanks for coming. We're glad that you're here in your seat back as a connection card. We'd love for you to fill that out, and we'll receive those at the end of the service when we uh, receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. And we'd just like to be able to connect with you, encourage you. Any prayer concerns, reasons to praise the Lord, you can mark that on the back. Any other interests you might have, and uh, we want to follow up with you. Um, there's other announcements that are in your program there. We'll be touching on a couple of those in a second. But uh, the students, you guys are good for camp. Winter camp, right, coming up a month from now. So make sure you get signed up. If you know people in your neighborhood, if you have friends who have students, all right, that really need big impact in their life, seriously consider talking to Joe who led worship uh, or Amanda down here as part of uh, um, student ministry leadership and get those students signed up for camp. And some scholarship money came in. Thank you for that. And uh, very grateful that, so we're able to send some kids. The camp is, it's in the program there, right, Joe? It's uh, in February there, February 9 through 11. And very grateful for that. We also had some good year ending. We ended the year financially $10,000 more than we started the year. So thank you very, very much for all that encouragement. And uh, we we sort of live hand to mouth around here, and that's, that just helps a little bit. So thank you very much. My mom is 87 years old. I love my mom. She still lives in the same old farmhouse that I grew up in my whole life. So when I go back for the holidays, I sleep in the room that I grew up in. Not too many people get to do that in life. My dad passed away almost five years ago now, and she uh, lives there by herself. Uh, it's in farm operations. We farm several thousand acres. My brothers do back in the Midwest. And... Um, she has a place of sanctuary in that home, and this time back, it was good to see her. She's a little bit more frail uh, than she had been uh, when I'd seen her last, but my mom has a nice lazy boy in her bedroom, and it was hot in there. We bunkered down because it was cold. We turned the heats up, and she has beside her lazy boy books that she reads, in particular the Bible, but she had this book laying beside her bed, I mean by her lazy boy, and it's called The Church Awakening. I said, I like The Awakening. That's a good name. She says, I know, Carrie. Some of you may be familiar with Chuck Swindoll's. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book called Grace Awakening, and a few years ago he wrote this book called The Church Awakening, An Urgent Call for Renewal. 
my mom, 87 years old, sitting and reading a book about the church needing to be fully alive. I trust when I'm 87, I have the heart that she hearts she has to still see churches be alive. And she prays for us regularly. She prays, of course, for me, our family. But I was wondering about you in 2018. What's your heart concerned about? Is your heart concerned about things of self-interest or things of God interest? See, we start out a new year here. We can recalibrate, right? you got some of those New Year's resolutions. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to have a different kind of diet. I'm going to really get serious on this academic study, whatever it may be. Maybe it's a year of career change for you. But let's step back and look at God, what he's doing in this world. And let's participate with what he's doing. And my question to you is, does your heart bleed for the things that God bleeds for? We're going to take a couple, uh, maybe three weeks here, the first of the year, um, just reflecting on the church because the church is what you've been called into. I'm not talking this local church. We're going to talk about it in a second. But this is the deal in your life if you're a believer in Christ. And if you're not a believer in Christ this morning, this is what God's doing, the church. And the church needs to be fully alive. My mom was sharing with just, oh, yeah, he was saying a few things in here about this or that. And actually, she said, I'm going to go to the verse that he referenced today. But it just baffled me to some degree because if I'm at that age and she's lived a seasoned life of love for family, encouragement to others. She used to play the piano at the church. Every Sunday I'd wake up, I hear my mom practicing before we went. But she had a heart concerned about the things of God, and she was inquisitive about how we were doing and in her church. And she was concerned about the drift of the church. You know what I'm saying by the drift of the church? That we can get involved in things that really isn't the primary reason that God called the church into existence. And she was inquisitive. Carrie, why is it that the church isn't what it used to be, at least in her mind on some ways? Her and dad had a very strong heart for missions, strong heart for evangelism and outreach. In fact, we were talking about the trips her and dad used to take in a certain season of their life when the empty nesters and they had some means, that kind of thing. And here she is. She's saying to me, she says, Carrie, I enjoyed those trips. They actually took a cruise with Chuck Swindoll overseas. And in this book, she was sharing with me, he was talking about when he was in the city of Ephesus and they were walking on the wide road and we were there with Chuck. And he actually leaned down and pointed out to dad some of the mosaics on that road. And I wondered when he mentioned that in the book, if that would have been the trip that he was with us. But she said, you know, those trips were all great. I'm glad that we did that. But part of me felt bad because I feel I should have been given that money to missions. I'm like, you're carrying guilt about that at 87. <laughs> but it wasn't guilt. It was just a mindfulness that what's really going on is the kingdom of God and him moving his church forward around the world. And she had that heart of compassion. But she was concerned, as Chuck talks in here, about the drift of the church. And are we doing what God wants us to be doing as a body? 
It's funny, my brother and his wife were taking me to the airport yesterday, yesterday morning. And uh, they wanted to stop by this furniture store that was sort of out in the country, big furniture store that they'd been working with to get some furniture for a condo they have and stuff. And and I said, sure, we'll go a little early, stop by, walked in, a nice big store. They had a lot of, had more Lazy Boys there than the Lazy Boy store down here in Temecula, I think. And uh, I nodded at the owner who they'd been working with, a lady, and uh, and they started talking to her. And I walked off, looked at some things, and I came back. And I come back to my, my brother and his wife, and they're talking to this lady. Her name was Sherry. And uh, she looked at me, and they looked at me. And my brother said, Sherry says here that she knows you. And she says she knows you in a way that most other people wouldn't have come to know you. And immediately I go, oh, crap, who is she? <laughs> right? <laughs> You're going back through your history. Sherry, Sherry's okay, right? <laughs> uh, part of what I was doing this last week, I was able to do some study and some writing on this whole subject of spiritual warfare that we talked about in October and those kinds of things. And Sherry looks at me, and apparently she went to a church that I used to pastor at. I, she did. I, I sort of know her. And she said, um, yeah, Carrie, I uh, was in a deliverance session with you as one of the prayer workers. And I thought, oh, then you probably do know me in some unique ways that don't come across to some other people. And um, she says, and you also, you were associate pastor. And it was at, at a large church there that was in that local town when I was college and career pastor. I was working with young adults, which was one of the funnest jobs I ever had in ministry, by the way. And uh she said, yeah, I remember the, the one time uh, you preached in this church, probably about, I don't know, seven, eight hundred, you know, <laughs> and they'd let the college and career guy do it once a year, maybe or twice. So I had my shot. And she says, you said something that I think probably offended some of the people. In fact, yeah, I think it did. But I thought you were spot on when you said it. And I'm thinking, OK, how I many 30 years ago? What did I say? And she said, you said that what the church does today, probably about 90% of it could be done without the Holy Spirit. And she was right. I do remember saying that. It was actually a quote of A.W. Tozer's. But I never thought about them feeling like I was accusing them that it was our church that was doing that. But then again, why not? I had a bit more of a prophetic voice back then, I think. And um, I was reflecting on that as it relates to this, the church awakening and drift. Is what we're doing dependent on the Holy Spirit? And for 2018, how dependent are we? That it has to be God that comes through. How about your life? You've taken some steps of risk, movement, some direction. It's all in your own power and strength. Or are you living a life that you have to have the Holy Spirit? You see, I want to be a part of a church and a movement of Christ where we have to have the Holy Spirit. In other words, where we can't accomplish any of this. We can put on programs, these other kinds of, probably do those things on earth. But when we want to see a movement of God and a church that's fully alive in Christ and to his mission, that's fully awakened and empowered, we have to have the Holy Spirit to be a part of that. So I thanked Sherry and appreciated those words. Boy, we were driving away. I was thinking about it. You never know what you say that somebody remembers, those kinds of things. I don't know, friends, if what we're doing as 
the Awakening Church here in Temecula Valley, 90% of what we could do without the Holy Spirit or not. I'm not saying some prophetic word there. But I think for this next year, I want to just say, <laughs> let's do something that that takes us to places that really lean into God doing a movement. Because you see, this church thing is a God thing. It's truly a movement. And if you're on the outside of considering being a regular part of church, looking in for this year, come join I mean, we're not a perfect church. There's a lot of great churches in this valley. But come be a part of what God's doing. And we're going to look at that because Jesus, you see, he he came to establish his church. But we have become so accustomed to the idea of church, whether it's a facility or whether it's a um a gathering to hear preaching and teaching. By the way, Mike did a great job last week. Mike, thank you so much for listening to that. And faith. The new year. But we uh, are familiar with church. You showed up today. There's church, right? But back in the day of Jesus, there was no church. In fact, to sort of do the time warp thing, keep going back, go past the decades we live in, the centuries we live in, go past before even modern civilization, Europe. Australia, Canada, you even go back into Israel. Think about this. Even Israel, there was no concept of the word Christian or what Christian traditions were. It was a Jewish culture. It was being run by the Roman government and the lands of that day. And, you know, the the religious people were sort of, you know, they were arrogant and prideful and self-serving and and, uh, corrupt. They had their own sort of swamp back then with the religious elite, you know. And he walks into this culture And he becomes a teacher, and they acknowledge him as a teacher, but they don't know him as we know him today. There was no term of church. And so if we're going to look at the first time the word church is used in the scriptures, it's actually not used by the Apostle Paul. You would think that. It was used by Jesus. And Jesus was in a town called Caesarea Philippi, which is a little bit north, uh, west of, of Jerusalem. And he was talking to his followers then. And I could sort of picture this. My son Zach's actually over in Israel for a few days with his uh, college team. And he's been FaceTiming me from over there. Hey, Dad, you want to see Jerusalem? Here's Jerusalem. You know, he says, I'll call you tomorrow from Sea of Galilee. That's great. You know, and uh, I know he's going to Caesarea Philippi here this, this next couple, three days. He'll be there. So these are real places. This is not fiction. All right. So Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, he says these words. When Jesus, in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? They reply. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I didn't know he was. Son of man was a reference that was been given to him. It's like, a, who do people say that I am? You know, what's, what's the buzz on the street out there? What's going on, right? I mean, we could do the same thing today. Take, take, a, uh, take the mic to the street and, and do some street interaction. Who would people say that Jesus is, right? And you would get different kinds of acknowledgments of who he is, but Jesus was just sort of one of checking out what was on the street. And so he was zeroing in on the identification of who he was, all right? Then he says this, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter, one of his proud moments, actually. He answers. I got the answer on this one. Pick me. Yeah, Peter, you. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the Joshua we talked about in, in Mike reference last week. You are the Savior. You're the, you're the one who is going to come and to redeem us and to lead us. And Jesus, in that moment, he was glad in heart because God had revealed this to Peter. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, my father in heaven. And then he says this, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my fill in the blank church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, what, what, what does this really mean? If you have some Catholic background, there's a different interpretation of this whole passage, and it really sort of is a split between Catholicism and Protestantism, if you want to know the truth. Was he saying that the church, whatever that was, was going to be built on Peter, who was the first pope in Catholicism? Idea. No, he wasn't. Peter had said what? You are the Christ. The son of the living God. He made a declaration of, I believe you're it. You're the one. And Jesus then turns around and he says, upon this rock, upon this rockful foundational statement and reality that you just said, upon this rock that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my why do you, what's that word, Jesus? You're, you're going to do what now? You see, Jesus, he wanted to lean in for them to identify who he was, but now he was transitioning to inspire them about what he would do. And this is what he would do. He would not establish a primetime television show. He would not become a... Uh, Someone that was on the, the, the circuit of, of, uh, positive motivational think, uh, te- uh, speakers. He would not go and build, uh, another temple to outdo the one that was already in Jerusalem. Jesus said what he would do is that he would build my church. And they were like, duh. Okay. Okay, help me with that. So let's look at this statement. I will build my church. Five words, single syllable words. I. I is referring to Christ himself. He is the originator, the birther of this entity called the church. I. It's focused on me. And it's not only that I will be the originator. I will also be the head. I will be the leader. It will be me. I will is the second word. Will gives reference sort of to future thinking. It's not like, hey, I have built my church or, hey, I'm doing it today. That kind of, I will has this projectory 
trajectory that says, into the future, this is going to be happening now. Based upon your statement, Peter, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, you want to know what's going to happen in the eons of time? I will be doing this. You saw people today and you said, what would you do this week? Hey, I did this this week. Or maybe I was sick this week. I kind of... If you ask Jesus this morning, what have you been doing this week? What did he say? He says, I'm building my church. I'm building my church. And he's not building it with stones. He's building it with people. Third word, I will build. I will build. He will take over establishing and moving from one generation to another. It will have, like in music, and sometimes it happens when we do music here, there's this crescendoing effect. And you repeat this phrase, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds. The church, through the ages, will be built stronger and stronger and more glorifying. Now, we may look at, oh, the church is adrift sometimes in American culture, or maybe there's not as many people going to church today as they used to go to church. We think of that. Are we really sort of, we're on the fringe now. We used to be more center back in the 50s, 60s. You've got to look globally what's happening. And globally, the church is growing. Even in some of the darkest, even politically um, communistic uh, kind of places or places of uh, even places that uh, Islam is controlling, God is building his church. People who are saying, I believe. I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's my church. My. He's not only the originator of it. He's not only the builder of it. He is the head. Friends, I did not come back to my church. Here. I drove by the church that I used to be college and career pastor at. I drove around the church that I started and, and uh, we built in this beautiful facility for 20 years, part of it. Neither one of those places were ever my church. I moved to California. You know, this is our fifth year in ministry. How about that? That's pretty cool. Man, I'm glad it's in Southern California that I have this much warmer today. Um. But never my church. The gentleman and his wife, Dave and Lana Reynolds, who started this church in 2004, it wasn't their church. You may say this is your church in a sense of ownership, and I trust you do in the regards of, hey, I have a family, I have a place to belong. But this isn't your church. Not my church. This is Christ's church. And if you want to know one of the biggest accountability feelings I have every week is that I steward as one of the leaders of this church, what God is doing in his church here locally, that's a big responsibility. We can, oh, I think, what would we do this year? Let's say 2018, what are some cool, creative things that we can do? No, we seek out what Christ wants to do. He is building his church. It's his possession. And what does this word church mean? You see, church back then, they wouldn't have known what, church was, other than that there was a Greek word that sort of was taken uh, in combination, and it was the word ekklesia. Two words in Greek, ek and kleo. Ek means out. Kleo means to call. To call out. 
what Jesus was doing, what he's still doing in 2018, what he's doing here locally in this valley and in this local church, is he is calling out people. It was a term that was used for the sense of assembly. So it was a common term, ecclesia, but because he put the word my in front of the word church, then it became something different. Because Jesus was saying, upon this statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this reality of who I am, I am going to now build my assembly of followers, of people who believe in me, who are serving my purposes from now into eternity. It is my church. The church is a called out assembly of Christ followers. It is not a building, not a facility. It's not uh, something that uh, you can look up and uh, online and go attend. You know, church was an assembly of people. And this is church universal as they were being called to be followers of him. So the beginning of 2018, let's just sort of right size. Let's get back to what we're doing. Why do we show up today? What's in the year ahead? What's on your agenda? What do you plan to do this year? Let's plan on being a part. Of the church of Jesus Christ. Serving his purposes. And let's do it in such a radical way. Which was originally intended. That we have to depend. On the Holy Spirit. So what would that look like? What would that entail? What would it entail? Acts 2.41. We find this verse. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What's this referencing? Do you remember? You see, you go past Caesarea Philippi when Jesus made that articulation. You know, you go a year later and you have Jesus being crucified on a cross. He died. He was raised from the grave. People uh, were tremendously excited and following him. And then a few days later, the Holy Spirit came, which was the Spirit of Christ himself, because Christ ascended into the heavens of physical body so that he could send his Spirit back into his followers. I mean, it's a pretty cool epic, right? We talk about it often. And so here on the day of Pentecost, they are overwhelmed and filled with the Spirit of God. And Peter, I think it's so cool, Peter is the one who stands up in front of all these people. And Jerusalem is going, what's going on here? This is crazy. You guys are speaking in tongues of other languages, uh, miracles, different kinds of things. We don't understand what's happening. And Peter, God allows Peter, who stumbled several times, but he got it right with that statement. The one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter stands up, and you can read about it in Acts 2, and he lets them know what's going on. And part of what he lets them know is that Jesus is calling out. His church, his followers, they were starting to get it. And it says that 3,000 were added to their number that day. It took off. Why? Because there was a great program? Because there was really good worship music? Because, you know, the teaching wasn't all that bad. At least he didn't fall asleep because he yells every now and then. Good children's programs? Great student camps to go to? Was that the reason? No. Because Jesus was lifted up and his spirit filled the hearts of people and they too became acknowledgers that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
The church took off because of the message and the ministry of Jesus himself. But then it says this. It turns right on the hills as that. They says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching? Well, today the apostles' teaching is all the scripture that we have. But they would begin meeting together. Those who were called out, the assembly, they would gather in places and they would listen to the apostles' instructions and teachings. Oh, I, I do wish I could have been there in that day. But we have recorded for us teachings and recordings of the apostles. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to start a series in one of the primary teachings of the Apostle Paul. The book of Philippians. And we're going to walk through Philippians and some of the teachings that he gave to the Christians in Philippi. And it's going to instruct us. Why will we gather? Why should you make a point to be here every week or to interact? Because we are supposed to be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm mindful of that, that we use the word of God in what we do for 2018. You can have nice, simple how-to points that are positive and encouraging. But if it's not the apostles, if it's not biblical teaching that we're sitting underneath, this church will drift like many churches have drifted. Denominations have come and gone based upon not teaching what the scriptures tell us. So we're devoted to that. But then it says not only... Did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they devoted themselves to fellowship? I do have a bunch of potlucks. I like potlucks. We got our chili cook-off coming in the last uh, Sunday of this month. Just went heads up on all that. Right in here, every kind of chili you want. And we gather, and we'll have congregational meeting that night, too. So keep that night reserved. I think it's the night between... Uh, AFC, NFC Championship, and the Super Bowl, so there's no football on that day. That's in, that's in purpose. Was that what the fellowship was? Well, they did gather. They did eat together. But the fellowship was deeply knowing one another. They took the apostles' teaching into arenas where they cared for one another. They learned from one another. They devoted themselves to that. We have life groups, and the reason we have life groups is so that you can be in true fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. I remember my parents grew up in a, a Sunday school class. It was called the koinonia class. I was a little kid. I drove by, and I, was, I walked by and go, what are you going in there for, Mom? Koinonia. I don't know why they call it. It was the koinonia Sunday school class, fellowship. My son, Ryan, my oldest son, Ryan, he hates the word fellowship. He said, Dad, that is so out of date for my generation. Fellowship. Well, if we think of fellowship as something nice, warm, and fuzzy, then maybe so. But the fellowship here meant depth. It meant richness. I don't care if you um, find it awkward. How am I going to say this without being offensive? And it's something that you remember 30 years later that I said up front. <laughs> I don't care. I'll use that word. If you are socially inept awkward, fearful, or if you are on social overload and you already have enough friends. If you are not in a fellowship of Christ followers that 
you can grow in the apostles' teaching with, carry one another's burdens, and do ministry with, you are not in a good biblical place. Sunday morning is not it. This is a crowd. You don't have fellowship in crowds. You have greeting times, encouragement. Hey, see you next week. You have to move into fellowship, koinonia. I better just move on. The third is the breaking of bread. And yes, this was the eating together, but this is the communion table. Jesus said, before he went to the cross, he broke the bread. He said, this is my body. He gave them the cup. He said, this is my blood. They didn't understand it at that moment. As often as you do this in remembrance of me, you proclaim my death until I come again. Jesus instituted the sacrament of communion, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread, the sharing of the cup, to have his church remember him. Now, a few weeks ago, and I'm still I'm still in the hills of our baptism. Wasn't our baptism great a few weeks ago? And... Uh, so this comes off that many were baptized, right? So you have sort of that sacrament or that, that covenant. Say, you know, you need to baptize people. Many were baptized. But then right here afterwards, they are practicing the communion. And so baptism is that point in time where you stand up and say, I believe, I'm committed, I'm in. Now, that doesn't save you, right? It's an outward sign of the inward commitment that you've made to follow Christ, your faith commitment. So baptism is a sacrament that says, I believe, I'm committed. But communion is exactly that. It's communion with Jesus. It's your ongoing sacrament that says, I believe. Now, some of you, it's like, you know, hey, um, I'm going to pick on Pierce over here again, who jumped in the tank at the end, right? What a great tank. When I asked Pierce, I said, are you going to be baptized? He says, I don't know. I says, I've already sort of been baptized when I was younger and those kinds of things. Twice. Yeah. And I said, all right, Pierce, that's cool. But I said, have you had believer's baptism where since you crossed the line of fully believing and becoming a Christ follower a year or so ago, have you been baptized as a believer? You know, whatever happened when you were little, whatever, so forth. And you jumped in at the end because you said, I want to declare publicly that which has happened in my life. I believe. Now, I've had some other people come to me and say, yeah, I've done believer's baptism, but I'm just sort of moved emotionally right now, and, and I want to be maybe baptized again. Can I do it? I'm like, well, no, that's not what the sacrament of baptism was. It's not like whenever we feel good or we want to recommit and get freshly committed again and again and again, we baptize. But what we do do is we do the communion table. And every time we come to the communion table, and we try to do it on a monthly basis here, first Sunday of the month, we say, I believe I'm in. So we're going to have communion here in a little bit. And it's like getting baptized all over again. I believe that his body was broken for me and that his cup, that his blood was shed for me. I believe. Amen. And that's what they would do. They would devote themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And then they would devote themselves to prayer. Prayer. And, friends, it's these four things. That we are called to do as a body of people once again in 2018. And prayer is probably out of these four the weakest. 
that we do as a church. Oh, we pray privately. We pray some with our families. We tuck our kids in a bed. We pray maybe on the way to church or we pray in a, a, light, a group here or there maybe briefly. But being devoted to prayer is something we don't see a lot today. And that's as much my fault as anything. How do we devote ourselves more to prayer? Because you see, they knew it had to be the Holy Spirit that went in front of them to see this church grow. They devoted themselves as a church to prayer. Now, I'm like probably many of you in here. I'm not all that great with prayer. My mind wanders. I start to think what I need to do. I'll do something for you, Jesus, but prayer is not really doing. Prayer is just sort of sitting. Wrong. Prayer is moving the hand of God. And he's allowed us to intercede to him for him moving his church forward in this world. So they would devote themselves to pray. It's praying for one another's needs as well, for God to heal and to work. It's prayers of thanksgiving, spending time in communion with God, not just asking for things. They spent time in corporate prayer. So then it says, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, which is in the large setting, the crowd setting, and breaking bread from house to house in the life group, small group setting. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Those are the four things we must do as a church in 2018. There's a lot of other things the church can do for Jesus Christ, and they're very well and good. Very well and good. But those four are foundational. We recalibrate our life. Not just in our own homes and in our own personal life and our careers. We calibrate, recalibrate our life as a church. This is what we're doing again in 2018. But we're going to be devoted to it. Devoted to it doesn't mean playing around with it. It means serious devotion through highs and lows. I'm going to do that. I didn't think we'd have that large of a group maybe here today. I know there was sickness out. You know, hey, comings and goings, first of the year. Back in the Midwest, when it's cold weather, that's another thing. It's like, I'm not getting out in that weather. I doubt if my mom went to church again today because it was so cold. But I'm pleased to see everybody because it shows that you're devoted to the gathering of the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Make it that priority. And so what I'd like to do is just encourage us on each of these four. Here's my encouragement. Be here to devote yourself to the teaching. It may be good some weeks. It may not be too good. Devote yourself not only to the teaching you hear on a Sunday, but to the teaching that you have in your own Bibles that God has given you. And part of that devotion is worship because breaking of the bread and um, all that's, that's the act of worship. Be able to sing the songs and team. You did a great job again this morning. Don't don't let stuff trump Sunday mornings. Be here. There's a lot to be said for not only your own life, but the lives of your kids. Don't let church be optional. People ask me, how are you doing in Southern California, Carrie? 
I go, I like Southern California. I like the diversity of mission field, the opportunities. I like the growth in the valley, the chances we have. But one of the things I say is, yeah, a little bit of so-called culture is a little bit looser than the Midwest. It's like, oh, what am I going to do this weekend? I got the got the beach, got the mountains, I got some parks, and I'm just tired from work because I commute so long. I'm staying home. A lot of reasons we give. But I tell you what, it makes a difference in your life and it makes a difference in the life of your family. Be devoted to be here for worship, the teaching on Sunday morning. And bring somebody with you. Some of you come with somebody today maybe because of that. That's cool. Fellowship. I'm going to have you do something that's going to seem a little awkward to you. I'm going to have you bow your head in a second. I'm going to have you pray on this one. Because uh, we're sort of lining ourselves up with... uh, Opportunities here that are kicking off. Rooted, which you've been hearing about, which is in your program, is a 10-week intense fellowship group. Intense for us, right? We gather once a week. We're reading. We're interacting with that readings and growing in Christ and doing some service together. Some of you have signed up for Rooted, um, and I'm glad of that. If you've signed up, rewrite the word rooted on the back of your card this morning. Some of you, God's speaking, and he wants you to be a part of a 10-week journey that has some intensity to it. Rooted. Financial Peace University, now that Christmas is over and we've gotten our credit card bills, <laughs> we need to understand God's biblical approach, not that what you spent was wrong, but God's biblical approach to finances. Financial <sighs> Peace University starts. In another week or so, that's in your program. And then we have life groups that are going to be kicking up again, and we're going to be walking through the book of Philippians. Then there's some women's Bible studies, some other opportunities. Those four. Rooted, Financial Peace University, Life Group, Bible Study, Women's Bible Study. You can be involved in two of those, if you want to, but I'm going to ask you to spend 30, 40 seconds asking Jesus because he's the head of this, your church, his church, what you're to do. And I want you to write that on the back of your connect card. Will you pray?